0: Hello, I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace and as a result to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something and the sharing of our stories is all about connection not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. September is National Recovery Month and that is a really important topic for us here at Saving You a Seat. We live in a culture that still stigmatizes addiction and mental health disorders. Addiction is the language of those of us who are deeply wounded. It is not a moral issue. It is not a willpower issue. And with half of American families dealing with addiction, half of American families dealing with addiction, 35 million suffering worldwide from substance use disorders, millions of others hiding in the shadows with behavioral addictions like gambling and pornography. Staying in the shadows is way too costly. I'm in long-term 12-step recovery. So are my guests who you are going to love. And they now live happy, joyous, and free lives. They shine their light for others. So join us. We're saving you a seat, and we keep the light on. You will be inspired by my real and raw conversation with David Hampton, Author of After the Miracle, who lets us know that recovery is not for the faint hearted, but for those who truly want to be well. He invites us to see what happens at the intersection of desperation and gratitude. Hey everyone, welcome to Saving You a Seat. And I'm here with my friend David Hampton, the author of two books. After the Miracle, and Our Authentic Selves. David is the co-host of the weekly podcast, the Positive Sobriety Podcast, and he is a certified professional recovery coach. As a professional touring musician, a published songwriter, and a church staff member, David confronted his own alcoholism. He redefined his spiritual understanding, and he came away from all of that as a man with a story to tell and a passion for helping others embrace their own. After the death of his wife due to complications from MS, he found the freedom to pursue a career in recovery work. He is also one of the executive producers of the upcoming documentary, Shame on Us, which tackles the subject of stigma and substance use disorder in our culture. And as a man with his own story of recovery and restoration, David is uniquely positioned to walk with both those who suffer and the loved ones who support them. David, I can't wait for our listeners to hear what you have to say. No pressure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Karen. It's so good to be with you.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to dive right in. I want to go to um, your book, After the Miracle, because as I've said to you before, when I walk into my 12-step recovery meetings, I really should have a box of these books with me. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it's it's my go-to. I mean, I, I have it sitting on my um, table with all of my other daily meditations. So this book has been so wow. profoundly important to me. And I, I'd like for you to start by talking about how putting down the drugs, the alcohol, whatever the numbing substance is, is just the first mm-hmm. step. Like, it's it's a brutal, horrific step, but it's just the beginning, right? Yeah. And that's what you write about.
1: Yeah, it is. I think, you know, when I started, you know, when you write a book, and you, have of course, are a writer, and um, when you write a book, there's the book you think you're going to write, and then there's sort of the book you... <laughs> That you end up writing, or that, or that writes itself. You know, I'm not sure if there's not still some, you know, channeling of some kind going on there. But, you know, that I thought I was going to write about recovery and my not drinking experience. You know, initially. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, as I began to, as I began to dovetail the the things I wanted to share with the reality of my life, especially in that period of time. I realized that what I was writing about was the disruptive nature of sobriety, initially, and just how disruptive sobriety is, because we don't we you know we don't lead with that when we help people <laughs> when we're trying to help people, you know we don't we don't tell them you know we're we're telling them happy joyous and free and you know all the great uh, things we have that we say in twelve step circles and and they're true, but they're a little further down the road you know there's a little bit of a a lag on on experiencing those because when, when, at least in my own experience and the, a lot of people that I've shared this with and they've shared with me, and I see it in my clients all the time, this may be the first time the people in your life have encountered you as a sober individual, you know, and you're developing opinions and you have questions and you're looking at things through a pretty clear lens for the first time, your beliefs, your values, how you're Life got to where it is, what you want it to look like from here, who belongs in it, and who doesn't you know uh, that's disruptive, <laughs> and um, you know, we're telling people you know, put it down, your life's gonna get better, things are gonna be you know you're you can't believe how much better you're gonna you're gonna do when you can finally uh relate to people unencumbered and, and all of that stuff, and that's true that is very true, and I'm not selling that short at all, but there is a real period of um I think disruption that comes with recovery that we uh have to be fair to people to say, you know.
0: Okay, so this is so so perfect because this is all about that that rigorous self-honesty, right? I mean, this is really the the real deal because I think what happens is we become used to as painful as it is living with addiction this is what we know this is the chaos and the havoc that we navigate this is the pain that we numb these are all the things like, it's kind of like living in a constant wood chipper like who wants to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> but yeah. we're used yeah. we're used to that and so is the family like we become accustomed to the addictive dance yeah And then when we change that, it's like, holy crap, people are now honest and setting boundaries and holding the line and making health and well-being a priority. And all the rules of engagement are changed, right? Everything's changed. And yeah. 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 However, there's a big difference between abstinence, which is putting down the stuff, and real recovery like emotional relational spiritual recovery that's the that's, that's such it. hard work Absolutely.
1: yeah yeah it is and it requires trust on so many levels you know and i'm not a good truster by nature <laughs> uh i just don't uh you know i don't i don't gravitate toward being you know i'm not the blind faith guy you know by any means <laughs> And probably haven't ever been, you know. I, I mean, I, I don't even think I was really that. I didn't. I don't think I took everybody's word for it, even as a kid, you know. Uh, so trust was an, an issue for me in the first place. But you're right. It's, it's, um, you know, putting things down because we and not knowing what what this will look like, feel like, be like when we don't have bubble wrap all over us, you know.
0: Well, it's the devil we know. I remember my brother saying to me, Karen. Not everybody lives in the boiling water that you live in every day and that you've become so used to.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it.
0: Right, like you don't even realize you're in boiling water every day because this yeah, is this absolutely. is right? And I yeah. love I love the metaphor that you use throughout your book because it's so profound for me. You talk about the story Jesus says to the lame man who's on the mat and Jesus's question to that man is so so much the question for all of us I think cuz what he says is do you want to be well right am I getting that right yeah. so yeah. so yeah. talk about that do, do you want to walk or do you want to be well like there's a big difference here dude
1: mhm yeah you know i i i remember the first time or at least the first time i really paid attention to that story and thinking that's kind of a jerk thing for Jesus to say, <laughs> you know. I mean, if Jesus had like one jerk day uh, in his life, they recorded it there. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> well, he pr- he probably deserved
0: him. it. Like, like just you know, d- based on what he was dealing with, let's cut him some slack. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that that is right. Yeah, you got a lot going on. <laughs> you know, a lot of people to <laughs> chase chase you down. It's it's a tough gig, uh. The, but yeah, you know, he comes up to this guy and says, "Do you want to be well?" And I thought, what a weird, what a weird thing to ask somebody. The guy's like, "I've been on this man. I think it's the guy who, you know, was by the pool, right? This pool of Bethesda that was supposed to heal people, and everybody would wait for the waters to swirl, and then they would all get in the water, believing that there were, you know, healing powers there, and they would they would come out and." And this man had laid there, I believe it said for 38 years or something. And I think that's a long time to, you know, park your butt at the pool. That's just, <laughs> that's a long, that's a long visit. And um, to not get in the water, you know, to not make it into the water. And he's got his reasons. Well, you know, I, I try to, I tried to, but the people push me out of the way. I can never get through the crowd. I can never, you know, he kind of has his, his reasons and, as I began to think about that in the context of my own sobriety, that's, you know, that's exactly, you know, well, I'd quit drinking, except, you know, I have to work with these jerky people, or I, I have to live in this system at home, or, you know, I have this issue or I I don't want to confront whatever. And so drinking helps me, but, you know, do you want to be well is more than do you want to walk, you know? And, and so I think that, you know, He's he's saying I'm not asking you if you want to walk. I'm asking you if you want to be well, and and that's a different question. You know, it's like when my sponsor told me, you know, I'm not asking you if you want to stop drinking. I'm asking you if you want to be sober because being sober is going to call out everything about you uh, that you think you already know that isn't working, and um, you know, sobriety is going to be a, a shift in your beliefs. We're going to take everything you think you feel, believe, know about yourself. And we're going to put it out there and you get to sift through this slowly. And, and then we're going to get to this place where sobriety emerges as not drinking, but I'm not asking you if you want to not drink. Cause I, if that's all we're going to try to accomplish, I can't help you, you know? And I think that that's, I think that's kind of what, I'm not trying to speak for Jesus. I'm not as PR person, but um, you know, if he were to answer that, I would expect it would be something like, yeah, I'm not asking you if you want to walk, you know. And so as I unpacked it further, then, you know, to the point of the book, I I wondered what the walk home for these guys was. Both him and like the guy who got lowered through the um, you know, the hole in the roof, you know, and uh, you know, take up your bed and walk. And everybody cheers and here he goes and praises God, and that's all great. But I think on the road home, he's coming to some realizations. You know, I, I'm going to have to get a job. Um, I don't need my mom to take care of me anymore. Um, her role is going to be called into question. You know, she's going to have to find a new purpose in life. And, you know, we love the miracles, but the disruption after the miracle is, um, that, that's a that's a different conversation okay. most of the time.
0: Oh, my goodness. We have to put that on some kind of a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or something because we love the miracles. <laughs> But, right, but Mm -hmm. they also invite us to do something differently. Like we have to then be grateful for the miracle and be humbled by the miracle and do our part to keep the miracle going. And, man, that's the hard work. That is not for the faint-hearted at all. Right. Because that's when we start to sit with our resentment and our patterns of anger Or how it's always somebody else's fault. And then we also have to sit with all that stuff beneath the waterline, David. You know, the stuff that contributed to the addiction, the using, whatever we did to numb ourselves. The shame, the self-deceptions, the manipulations, the unworthiness. That's, I mean, that's the really hard work. And I think that's why so very many people relapse is because that's hard work and they're not doing it. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I think that the, um, you know, the place where people uh, make me the most nervous is when they're freshly sober and they go, you know, I've, I've had 10 days now and I think I'm good. You know, I think I'm, you know, I'm going to be okay. And I don't, I don't know why I'm coming in here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, don't, yeah, that's the moment where I'm trying, saying, okay, do not grab them by the shoulders and shake them. Like, tr- you know, yeah. do not do that. Try to restrain yeah. yourself. But yeah, I said yeah. to one recovering addict a couple of weeks ago if you ever write a book, the title could be, I've got this subtitle, I'm good, but not really. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So if you were to tell somebody, How to be well and not just walk. Is there anything that you would say to help them choose wellness?
1: Well, uh, one thing I tell people uh, is, you know, if you want to know what you're drinking at, stop drinking and you'll find out real fast. Because immediately when you go, you know, damn, I need a drink. You just had a conversation. You just experienced resentment. You just experienced feeling shame. You just experienced, you know, all these things. And if you can be aware enough in the moment, you're going to know exactly, you know, where these things are because these are the things that are calling out to you, you know, when the alcohol wants to show back up. You know, these are the things you're experiencing. Uh, and you've got to be, you know, I mean, the program talks about rigorous honesty, but you've got to be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself first, You'll never be honest with anybody else.
0: I couldn't agree more, hundred percent. And that's the hardest—that's the hardest kind of honesty, right?
1: Well, it is because there's all this unflattering stuff. You know, we <laughs> right. all we all create this persona, you know, to survive. And then uh, the things we're asked to address in order to, you know, quote, be well, uh, is all the unflattering stuff. And and uh, you know, our our mechanisms are kind of set up to go, no, I don't, I don't do that. No, I'm not resentful. No, I don't um have any emotional hostages in my closet anywhere <laughs> you know i'm not um drinking at any you know particular person or thing um i just have a i just have gotten into a bad habit mm-hmm. you know or whatever but
0: i could stop um, anytime mhm
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: mhm yeah and the family members right i mean the the layers of resentment fear anger, shame that the family members have just mirrors exactly what's going on with the person suffering with the substance use disorder. I mean, just completely the whole fa- I was on my way to a very intense therapeutic session around family addiction. And I walked into my garage and out of the corner of my eye, David, I saw a bird trapped in the blinds on the window in the garage. And I am really squeamish around these kinds of things. And he was all tangled up in the blind and he was tapping his head against the window pane of the garage. Now, the garage door was open but that was not where he was focused on getting out. Like That was not the way out for him. He's tapping his head against the window frantically. He was never gonna get out that way. And he was all tangled up in this blind. So I went over, again, this is not my forte. I lifted the blind off of him. And then a friend of mine who was with me very gently, but it took a very long time for both of us working together to get the bird to realize that he could fly out the garage. And eventually he did, but it was a it was an arduous process. And then I looked at my friend and I said, you know, this is no coincidence. I am headed to this family-intensive session, and this bird symbolizes the disease. Here we are, trapped we keep doing the same thing over and over again. Someone is showing us the way out and we're ignoring it. And it was with that that I was able to go to the session with just just a with a gentle sense of God is working cuz that was a real God thing in the moment. And also just how important it was to just keep showing people the way out by doing the right thing. And by role modeling that, doing our own work instead of telling them what to do. All we can do is guide, like we can't fix it, right? So it's just such a powerful symbolism of the wreckage of the disease because this bird was determined to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great, great picture. I love that analogy Um, and that. I appreciate you sharing that experience because I think that's that's what we're doing. And and I think it, it exhausts the people around us watching us do that. You know, I mean, I, I probably quit drinking 79 times, you know, in front of everybody. And, and I always felt the need to, you know, make big pronouncements and promises and blow trumpets. And, you know, uh, and I, you know, and I couldn't understand why around time 53, they quit buying into it, you know. And, um, and it exhausts them. You know, I remember my daughter who was, when I, when I did get sober and she was about 15 and she, she said, look, do it, don't do it, whatever, you know? Um, and, and, you know, her buy-in was like, I, I'm not going to invest myself in this anymore so we do it exhausts everybody. And
0: um how do family members know that an addict is lying? Their lips are moving. Yeah. Exactly. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. the roller coaster ride for the family of hope. Like, oh, this is going to be it. They're getting it. Thank you God. Okay. And then the coming down and the disappointment and the fear. But, but it really is this constant roller coaster. This pleading with. And so You know, I talk a lot about how if nothing changes, if nothing changes, the family members have to also do something incredibly brave and different. The intention is right. You know, we think we're loving them. We think we're helping. We think we're rescuing. But really what we're doing is we're inviting the disease for tea. We're saying, come on, sit down right here next to me. I'm going to help you, the disease, stay alive by enabling and rescuing and stopping the person from experiencing the consequences. It's so counterintuitive what the family has to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel rules that people adopt in those situations because they can't afford to, you know, emotionally. And, and in the moment, I, you know, or at least I remember that I was so focused on me that it took me a long time to realize that was the experience that my family was having. You know, I thought they were just impatient, (laughs) unsupportive, you know? Uh,
0: You know, I was talking to some executives last week who also are seeing such addictive behaviors in the workplace. You know, people who might have an addiction to drugs or alcohol, but they certainly have an addiction to the other process the process addictions you know whether it be yeah. work exercise porn shopping all those other things that can serve as much of a numbing factor and create just as much havoc in in so very many relational and emotional ways so there's a lot of like dishonesty and blaming in the workplace as a result of people not being able to own their stuff so we, yeah. We're we living in such an epidemic of numbing and distracting, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. And, and we've got so many ways to do it now. You know, I mean, we've got the Library of Congress in our pocket, you know, practically on our cell phone, and we can access anything we want to know anywhere. Um, but somewhere we got the idea that I needed to know what you had for breakfast.
0: <laughs> As if you, <laughs> you cared. Know. As if you cared. As
1: if I cared. Because I never cared before, but now that I can know that, somehow I'm going to devote 20 minutes in the morning to looking at that.
0: (laughs) And what does that say about, you know, the the, um, philosopher Pascal says that all human misery comes from a human being's inability to sit alone with themselves in a room. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And social media has said, I am going to make sure you never learn to sit with yourself alone in a room. Because you can right. always pick up that device and be distracted by somebody else's life. And what an addictive pull that is yeah. for us.
1: Yeah. And it and it creates or at least exacerbates our perpetual dissatisfaction and comparative thinking. You know, and if I get into deep comparative thinking, it's my grease slide to depression. You know, because everybody's got this great life. I mean, look at all their pictures on social media. Look at the white outfits on the beach, you know? <laughs> I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody behaved long enough to take the picture. I bet they all get along, you know? Um, but the, the comparative thinking is just, is huge. I, I read this um, quote. Uh, there's, a, there's a book out called The Devil in Blue Suede Shoes. Uh, and it's several years old, but it's about, I think it's about advertising, actually. And um, the guy said, the, the way we advertise now, you know, when, when I grew up, it was, you know, three channels on TV, and you held up the white sock and the whiter sock, and you wanted the detergent that got you the whiter sock, you know, so that's how you bought your detergent. So he said, it's about what's not what's right with the product, it's about what's wrong with the consumer. And he said, that's what we target, because he said, Starbucks doesn't make the best coffee in the world, you know, I mean, and they never claim to, they're selling you an experience. And you feel a little hipper and a little more connected and a little more whatever paying that extra dollar and being in that atmosphere. And he said, that's what put them on the map. So I think our perpetual dissatisfaction is also at the root of our our addiction, you know, because I believe that everybody else is getting something that I'm not, you know, in this sort of uh, isolation that that comes with all that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just exacerbates. I love that, David. And I hate that. I love it because it's so true. And I hate it that it's so true, but it's this constant perpetual hustling for approval. It's running from our true selves. It's believing that there's something outside of ourselves that's going to make us happy, good, whatever that is. And I, You know, I don't know of any other way to um, heal and awaken and live a life that's truer to myself than going deep inside. But that is really hard work. And that's why I love that prayer that you invite people to pray. It's such a brave prayer. I'm going to read it. It's on page 59 of your book. And you say the harder prayer to pray addresses. How we got on the mat, so going back to the story about Jesus, how we got on the mat in the first place, this prayer would sound like, God, reveal to me the resentments I carry that are fueling my entitlement, that is allowing me to justify my behavior, behavior which is hurting myself and others around me. Okay, that is one hell of a brave
1: prayer. (laughs) Well, and, and and you better mean it because he'll take you up on it, <laughs> trust you me. You better
0: mean it. Like, okay, here yeah. we go now. Here we go. The yeah. gloves are yeah. off. You've asked for it. <laughs>
1: that's right. Don't light the fuse if you can't get get away fast enough.
0: <laughs> so I love that prayer, and I pray it. Now, sometimes I go kicking and screaming into praying it, but that, that's yeah. where the freedom is. The, there is nothing outside of myself that's going to give me that peace. I've got to go inside. Yeah. 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 So I really want our readers, not our readers, I want them to read the book. That's probably what I'm thinking. I want everybody to read After the Miracle because even if there's not addiction in their lives, which I find it hard to believe because I think we're all recovering from something. There's something in the family, something I want everybody to read your book. I want people to be able to find you. But before I do, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody. If you could have a conversation with anybody, invite them to have a seat, save a seat for them. Who would that be?
1: Well, this is this may make you laugh because uh, here we are on this uh, you know, these deep, great, wonderful insights we've been talking about back and forth that we've come to in our in our lives. You know, I'd love to be noble and say somebody like Jesus or the Dalai Lama or the Buddha or, you know, whatever. But you know who really fascinates the crap out of me? And I would love an hour with her, Dolly Parton. I get that. I would sit in and listen to her for an hour. You know, she's, I mean, just entertaining. I mean, you know, I heard her say recently, you know, somebody asked her how long it took her to do her hair. And she said, I don't know. I'm never there. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) But here's the thing: I think she's incredibly smart and incredibly not just talented, but incredibly smart, and not just with business. But I mean, she has to be a business whiz to you know accomplish the things she has and stay in this business as long as she has. But I think that for me, the thing that fascinates me about her is that she has, you know, we all talk. We always talk about creating personas, you know, and 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 she's bought in. I mean, she's she's full on in this in this thing that she's created you know and i believe it is her in a in a strong way i mean i believe she is what she presents to us in all the you know with all the glitz and glamour that goes with it but the thing that fascinates me is i'd love to know like what her moments were in her life where she integrated the the authenticity of herself along with coming to terms with the fact that she was going to live out her life in this particular way, in this role, you know, in this persona that is her um, and how that all got integrated in her, in her psyche that still allows her to be a healthy human being. And I don't know that that there's something about all that, that working together, it just fascinates me.
0: She is so consistent and she has managed to stay outside of any scandal and I don't think that she's ever presented herself as perfect or having all the answers, but she's as, I, I believe as wise as she, as they come when it comes to being authentic. I think she is, I've heard from people who know her, like who are behind the scenes that what you see is what you get. So I yeah. get that. I get that. Why you yeah. want to have a conversation with her. So where can our listeners
1: find you? Well, my website is David Hampton CPRC for certified professional recovery coach, David Hampton CPRC And the book is available, you know, on Amazon, of course, like everything else. And um, but they can they can go right to that website and there's a place to uh, contact me to email me directly from there and um And I check those and get those uh, notifications and I'd be happy to hear from anybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know you would be. And they would be blessed to reach out to you for sure, David. You have so much to share. And I think it's your honesty about yourself that is the most healing for people to sit with, to read about. And so I do hope listeners reach out to you thank you for being here today. Well, and we'll put everything in the show notes too. So people will be able to certainly access you and find you.
1: Well, so thank you, Thank David. you so much. Karen. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Your listening means so much so please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode to tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work please also get my book The Connected Leader it is available on Amazon and all online book retailers and visit our page connectedleaderbook.com stay connected